Phyllis is all keyed up this morning. That was good playing. Say amen. Well, good to see each of you, and I uh, hope you've had a good week in the Lord. And uh, uh, this is, I'm told when you get older, the best kind of snow. It gets the yard wet, but you can still take off down the road. So uh, we were able to safely be able to come uh, to church this morning. We want to welcome all those of you that are here and those that are joining us by way of the Internet. And so we want to go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over our lives today. So let's pray together at this time. Father, we give you thanks uh, for this day, God, and for your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. Father, we thank you that you continue to lead your church in these days. And God, in what are dark days, just like the days that the minor prophets ministered. Father, we're so thankful that we can turn to you and to your word. And Father, we can find comfort and we can find peace. And our hope can be restored in you and in your promises toward us. Father, we pray for needs that are represented here today in the hearts and lives of those who are listening uh, today by way of the internet or through the phone line. God, we pray for those that are sick who are in need of a touch from you, God, that medicine can't heal, Father. They just need a divine touch from you. God, I pray that you'll heal where it's in accordance with your will and your plan for their life. And Father, we pray most of all for spiritual healing that is needed here and in the hearts and lives of those that will not only hear this today, but God, we give you the glory for those hundreds that are listening throughout the week in different parts of the country and other areas where these messages are being broadcast and pushed out over the internet. We pray for the one that's never been saved, God, that they'll turn and they'll choose Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that in these days you'll revive your church. And Father, we will more than ever be the salt and light that you've called us to be, the, the Christians living on mission, uh, Father, to call people to turn from sin's penalty and that they might be free from its possession by trusting Christ and experiencing the power that only the Holy Spirit can give them spiritually in their life. Father, I pray you'll be with Brother Butch as he sings this morning. Father, touch our hearts and lives through the message that he has to share today. And God, we're going to give you thanks for all the things that are done here today. It's in Jesus. Pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. You pray for Brother Butch as he comes and sings now. Blessed 
beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could, cause through it all, God's been good. See, God has been my father, my savior and my friend. His love was my beginning and his love will be my end. I could spend forever trying to tell you everything he is. But the best way I can say it is this, God's been good in my life. I feel so blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could Cause through it all God's been good That's your testimony. Say amen. amen. Brother Butch, thank you for that this morning. If you find in your Bibles, won't you please and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. The book of Micah, uh, chapter 6. Uh, we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1 as we continue our studies that we started several weeks ago. In the Minor Prophets, Micah chapter 6. And we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able and honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in the book of Micah, chapter 6, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O ye mountains, the Lord's complaint, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Arian, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Micah responds, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God responds, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that in these moments, Father, as we turn to these scriptures and study your word, that your precious Holy Spirit would speak to us today according to the great need that's in our life. Father, I pray if there's one here that's never been saved, one listening, Father, that your spirit will grip them and call them and compel them and convict them of their sin and their need for Christ, and they'll turn and trust Jesus today. And Father, I pray every believer, Father, will be challenged to the point of revival, and that, Father, as we see the faithfulness and the humility and the integrity of Micah's ministry, that, Father, we'll desire to be like Micah. And, Father, that our lives will be honoring and glorifying to you and effective in winning many people and discipling others 
to serve Jesus Christ. Bless this time. Your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. I've entitled our message this morning simply this, Be Like Micah. Uh, Micah was a faithful prophet of the Lord. His name means, literally, who is like the Lord. At the closing of chapter number 7, he seems to have a play upon his name in verse number 18 where he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? It literally meant, who is like the Lord. Michael was from a small country town, 21 miles or so southwest of Jerusalem in Morseth, Gath. Uh, his ministry ranged roughly from 735 B.C. to 710 uh, B.C. This would have been uh, during the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. Uh, his ministry began shortly after the ministry of Amos ended. And he preached uh, and prophesied against both the north and the south, the kingdoms that were divided. Remember that to a church that was plagued by sin and difficulty and challenges and internal conflict, they'd forgotten really what a New Testament church was supposed to be and do. That's the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says these words, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul said to a church that had lost its way and was failing to model the life of Christ. If you forget what to do, if you forget how to live, he said, you, you have forgotten. He says, do what I do. Say what I say. Minister the way that I minister. Paul didn't say worship me, but he said, if you, can't, if you forget what to do, look at me. He says, because I'm seeking to imitate Christ. Paul didn't want people to be like him alone. He wanted them to be like Jesus. But because he was seeking to be like Christ, he said, do what I do, say what I say, live the way that I live because I'm seeking to live like Christ. Many of you will remember this. Some were born after the date, but you'll all know uh, the name. Uh, it was on August 8th in 1991. Gatorade aired a commercial that had a catchy little tune and a catchy little jingle. The star of the commercial was Michael Jordan, and it had him playing basketball. It showed some of his highlight clips. There were some that were lighthearted, leaned up against teammates, laughing, always sweating, always a bottle of Gatorade nearby. And there's a catchy little jingle, but you'll remember there was a catchy little song that went along with it. And this is, these were the words to it. It says, sometimes I dream that he is me, You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream to move, I dream to groove like Mike, if I could be like Mike. Again, I try, just need to fly for just one day if it could be that way. I dream to move, I dream to groove like Mike, if I could be like Mike. It was a song sung by a child or someone who aspired to be like Michael Jordan is they played basketball. And I suppose as a competitive basketball player, Michael Jordan would be someone that you might want to be like. But as a follower of Christ, don't you listen to me, Micah is someone you do want to be like. You want to be like the prophet Micah. And the following text shows us three ways how to be like Micah. Number one, be faithful to God's Word. Be faithful to God's Word on two fronts. First off, in its delivery, and then secondly, in its demonstration. Be faithful to God's Word, first off, in its delivery. Remember that during this time, Israel was plagued by false doctrine. And it was plagued by false doctrine because it was plagued with false prophets who were spewing the false doctrine. But don't you listen to me. It was Israel's choice. They allowed it. They wanted the message of the false prophet. And so the country, north and south, the divided kingdom, they were marked by two major sins that we continue to see over and over in our studies of the prophets. Number one, it was the perversion of the true worship of God, idolatry. And then number two, it was the oppression of the poor. Look at Micah chapter 1 and verse number 7, where God says, Speaking of Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, he says, All her carved images shall be beaten in pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay 
of a harlot. Verse 9 says, her wounds are incurable. It, it has come to Judah. Literally, what began in the north and existed in the south, it, it moved down into the southern kingdom as well. The, because of the message of the false prophets and telling the people that the life they wanted to live was okay, the nation was plagued by idolatry. And secondly, it was plagued by the oppression of the poor. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 1, where God says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it's in the power of their hand. Well, what is it that they were doing? What is it that they planned out? Before the day even began, the first thought they had was what they were going to do. It's found in verse number two. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Remember from our studies is of the, the Pentateuch and then as we moved over into Joshua, that the land was their inheritance. Uh, each person would have a place where they could live and they could raise a godly generation where when in the fullness of time, God would send forth Christ into the world. It was their mission to be a kingdom of priests and to raise godly families. And they needed land in order to do that. But there were rich who were getting richer and poor who were getting poorer. And the first thing that was on a rich person's mind that day was not spending time with God and how they could help their neighbor prosper, but how they could oppress their neighbor and get more land and take their home of which God was seeking to give them that they might be faithful to what they had called them to do. And the false prophets, they didn't speak out against this sin. It's because it wasn't popular. It's not what the people wanted to hear. The people wanted to hear a message that consoled them and confirmed them in the life that they had chosen to live. God speaks about the people's response to true prophets who came and shared a word from God. Remember, they didn't have the counsel of word that we have in our laps right now. The word that they received was through the mouth of a prophet to the people. God spoke through these men. Listen to what the response was. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 2. They said to those that were speaking God's word, Do not prattle. That word prattle means foolish or inconsequential talk. Don't, don't, don't say these foolish things. Don't prattle, you say to those who prophesy, literally preach. God says, so they shall not prophesy or preach to you. They shall not return insult for insult. Literally, as the prophet was speaking, people were chanting back, you're a moron. We don't want to hear that. Shut up. Go back to Morsheth Gath where you came from. God says the prophets aren't going to return insult for insult. You who, verse 7, are, are of the household of Jacob. Is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these His doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? The people are saying, these words that the real prophets are saying, man, they're hurting us. Man, they're bringing us down. We come to church happy and all we do, we just go home, we feel so down. It's such a negative thing. These, these words are killing us. It's the same response that Amaziah gave to Amos. Amos chapter 7 and verse number 10, where the, the high priest there in Samaria looked at Amos and said, look, the, the, this, the, the land's not able to bear all your words. Man, you're weighing us down with all this negativity, telling us that we can't have idols, and, and, and we can't claim more lands, and we, we have to live for God. This is negative. This is a negative message. We, we, don't, we don't want to hear these things. That's what God says the people were saying. Verse number 11, this is what they wanted. God said, if, if, you, if you wrote a resume out, and what you wanted as a pastor, and that's what churches do when they post a listing for a pastor. They'll, they'll list the things that they're, they're looking for. This is, what we, this is what we want to hear in a pastor. Well, God says, this is what you would say. Verse 11, if a man should walk in a false spirit and, and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he would be the prattler, the foolish preacher of this people. God says, if there was a man who, who said, I walk in a false spirit, and I'm going to tell you, listen, it's okay and fine to get drunk as you want to. That's the church you'd go to. That's what God said about the heart of the people. That's what was popular. That was, that was the culture in which God sent Micah to minister and to share a, a word of truth. But as for Micah, how, how, would, 
he respond? The Bible says in chapter 3 of verse number 8, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression. He says, I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I'm full of the Word of God and I'm going to be faithful to deliver both. See, because that's what God's called me to do. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to declare to Jacob and to Israel his sin. Verse 9, now hear this. You heads of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice, who pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Sound like anything you've heard in the past few months? She says, hey, we're God's people. We've got faith. Nothing ever bad's going to happen to us because we're the children of Abraham. Micah says, therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like bare hills of the forest. Chapter 2 and verse number 8, he said, to, uh, as, as, as a result of speaking uh, to what Samaria had done. He says, lately my people, they've risen up as an enemy. He says, that's what God wants you to hear. He says, you say you're my people, you say you're the children of Abraham, but God wants you to know you're like my enemy. And that's the message that God called him to share, and he shared it. And it wasn't popular, but he delivered it faithfully. Remember this. The motives of the false prophet were twofold. Listen, fear of man, love of money. Fear of man, love of money. What is popular? What do people want to hear? Then that's what we'll tell them. Because, number two, that's what's going to keep the cash cow making milk. That's what the false prophet was motivated by. Micah's motives, listen, fear of God, love of God. False prophets' motives, fear of man, love of money. Micah's prophets, love of God, fear of God. And so he, he faithfully delivered God's Word. And God calls us, listen, to tell people not only about God's love, and that's easy to talk about, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, stop right there. Stop right there. Don't, don't do the last part. Don't talk about the perish part. Just talk about love and God's love and God's prosperity and God's goodness to me in spite of how I might choose to live. God calls us to talk to people about his love. But friend, we also have to talk about the penalty and not responding to his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love. God demonstrated it. Because we were sinners and that he sent Christ that we might be reconciled unto him. You cannot talk fully about the love of God without talking about the penalty about responding to God's love. And that's not the popular part. That doesn't build a crowd. That won't endear everyone to you. To tell Christians the demands of discipleship, that doesn't make everybody, that doesn't make fence-riding, quote-unquote, Christians happy. They want to feel that their name's in the book, they've been baptized, and they're on the rail to heaven. And they don't want to hear the demands of Christ, Luke 9, 23, to daily forsake themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus. Their life is dead, they've surrendered it to Christ. People don't want to hear that. It's not popular. But if we'd be faithful to deliver God's Word, we have to tell people that. Matthew 28, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded them. To do both demands faithfulness to the whole counsel of God's Word. And friend, I'm telling you, there's a choice to be made. Popularity or faithfulness. You're not always going to be popular when you faithfully share God's Word. When, when at, the, at the lunch break table where you work, when you share with someone, and they begin to talk to you about sin that's in their life, and they ask you about you know, that they just don't have any peace and that their life is just a wreck. And you begin to talk to them and to engage them 
about whether they've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you begin to talk to them about the things they're telling you about and let them know that the, the Bible says the way you're living is sinful. Listen, they're not always going to respond to you in a popular way, and you're just going to be employee of the month. But if you'd be faithful to God's Word, you must tell them, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. And so there's always a choice to be made. Popularity or faithfulness. Now I'm telling you, churches, pastors, leadership groups, staffs of churches are making that choice every single day. And I'm telling you, friends, sadly many are choosing popularity over faithfulness. If we'd be like Micah, we would finish well. We must be faithful to the delivery of God's Word. I'm glad some doctrines are pleasing to talk about and thus popular. Who doesn't love to hear about heaven? Who doesn't love to hear about the providence of God that He's promised to meet all our needs according to His riches in heaven? Anybody get tired of hearing that? Who doesn't love to hear about the love of God demonstrated upon the cross? But when our life becomes out of line with the Word of God and the Word of God convicts us, that can be painful. And that can be challenging. And popularity seeks to deviate from that. Faithfulness shares the entire counsel of God's Word. To be faithful in delivery of God's Word, one must preach and teach every inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word. And Micah was faithful in the delivery of God's Word. Not only was he faithful to God's Word in its delivery, but he was faithful to God's Word in its demonstration. He lived out what he taught. He lived out what he spoke. He lived out what he was prophesying and challenging the people to do. Turn back to our text that we began with in Micah chapter 6. God begins to, to challenge the people about their sin. He says, oh, my people... What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? What Brother Butch saying, God begins to share with them and remind them how good he had been to them. Listen, that if it wasn't for God, they'd still be in Egypt making bricks. It's he that set them free. It's he that redeemed them. He says, verse number four, I brought you up from out of the land of Egypt. I'm, I'm the one that did this. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. He says, and I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam before you. What's significant about that? God says, it, it's I who discipled you. I gave you a word through Moses. Ladies, I gave you a, a godly example of how to live. Even though she had failed, she still finished well. I established a priesthood that there would be a link between me and you. A picture of who Jesus Christ would be. God says, I've done this. Oh, my people, remember now, it's me who protected you from all your enemies, just like Balak and the false word of Balaam. God says, I've done these things for you. I've blessed you. I led you. I set you free. I've sanctified you. I've set you apart for my exclusive use. And so Micah begins to respond to the thought of all these things in verse number 6. He says, then what shall I come before the Lord with. It's the same thought that Joel had in Joel chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 where, where Joel, God through Joel called the people to repent. He says now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. Not just, not religious ritual. Turn to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, Psalm 51, with a broken and a contrite heart over your sin. So rend your heart and not your garments. Stop Stop the outward sign of brokenness and, and really come to me, God says, with the spirit of brokenness over your sin. Return to the Lord your God, for He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. That same, that same thought, that same heart, Micah says, how, how shall, I come from, shall, shall I come before the Lord? Shall I bow myself down before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Now listen, he's, he's leading the people up to see how they've lived. He said, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? Well, I won't bring just one. I'll bring a thousand. Surely that will appease God. Ten thousand rivers of oil. Not, not just a little oil, but ten thousand rivers. Well, if that's not enough, I'll give my firstborn. 
I'll, I'll bring my firstborn child. I'll, maybe that will cover the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He's trying to bear this, it, that having an experience with God, it's not about ritual. It's about a relationship. And the greatest act of worship, listen, is not ritual. It's obedience to the Word of God. It's, demonstra- it's faithfulness to the Word of God through its demonstration. You know, in the world in which we're living, it's, you know, you've got the cues. You can you watch videos of church services, and you, you know what's going to happen by the song. Well, now, this is a one-hander. Okay, on cue. Okay, I know do that. Well, this is a two-hander. Oh, this is slower, so this has got to be palms up. And this is up-tempo. Well, then, you know, we've got to run on this one. God says it's not about that. It's not about the outward appearance. He says it's about a broken heart that's in a love relationship with me and demonstrates it by being obedient to what I've called you to do. That's what he says in verse number 8. He has shown you, O man of God, what is good. He's, he's demonstrated that to you. Well, where, is God, where had God shown that and when did God show that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. The Lord is re-speaking what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to what God says. And now, O Israel. Remember, Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. God was getting the people ready to cross over under a new leader, Joshua, who is a type of Jesus Christ into the abundant life. They were leaving the old life behind. They were entering into a new life. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to all his ways, to demonstrate God's word through obedience, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. For your good. And so God says, he's shown you, O man, what is good, how to have a right relationship. Live out the word of God. You want to worship God? Be obedient to his word. Be a doer of his word. He has shown you, O man of God, what is good, what the Lord doth require of you, to do justly, to do right, to love mercy, to love loving kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, friend, if you're following Jesus Christ, you will walk in humility. You always will. Why? Because you're always going to be dead last. Luke 9, 23. You're always going to be last. If you've brought your life under the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will walk in humility with God. It's a natural byproduct of surrendering your life to Christ's lordship because you've died. Micah faithfully demonstrated the word that he shared. That's, that's a good question. Do I? Do you? Day in, day out, am I demonstrating, am I being faithful to God's Word in its delivery? Or am I turning my head? When someone asks me, hey, you know, do you think this is right or wrong? You know, Sally went on vacation with her boyfriend. They stayed in the same room. Do you think that's right or wrong? How do you answer? You've got family that lives together out of wedlock. Do you act like it's okay? You go to someone's house. And they drink beer and they say, you know, does this offend you? Well, I mean, you do what you want to. I can't, I can't judge nobody. When you have the opportunity to speak for God, are you faithful to His Word? Are you faithful as you live it out? Micah did. And Micah was. If we'd be like Micah, we must be faithful to God's Word. And friend, I want to remind you, there's, there's five Gospels. There's the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but there's a fifth one. It's the gospel according to you. It's the one that you live out every day. You live it out before your family. You live it out before your co-workers. It doesn't matter what you do at the church. As much as what matters what you do at home and in the community because that's the real you. And I'm telling you, what you type with your fingertips on your social media account, that's you. That's the gospel according to you. It's what the world sees. In the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. God, help us to be faithful to his word in its delivery and in its demonstration. Number two, if we'd be like Micah, 
be broken over sin. Be broken over sin. Absence of apathy, an absence of indifference. Micah was broken over sin, over its possession of the people and over its penalty they were going to face. The grip that sin had on his community and his culture, the people of God, the people that God had called out to be a holy priesthood, to share his message with a lost and dying world. Genesis 12 through, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. And they had forsaken that. Their lives were marked and marred by sin. They were possessed by sin. And there was a penalty that they were soon to face. God was about to ring their bell. And it broke Micah's heart. He didn't, he didn't sit on the sideline and said, Man, I hope I've got a box seat to watch God rain down the thunder on them. He didn't do that. Look what the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 1 of the book of Micah. As God begins to speak all the things in chapter 6 that's going to happen, punishment against Israel's sin, he says, woe, woe is me. He says, woe is me, for I'm like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. He says, I feel, I feel like a person that's gone out into the field to get something to eat because I'm hungry, and there's nothing there to find. He says, that's... The, emptiness that I have over Israel's sin. Verse 2, the faithful man is perished from the earth. He says, there's, there's no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood, and every man hurt, hunts his brother with a net. It's all about what I can gain. No longer do they see people as the object of God's affection whom Christ would die for. It's just something to use in order for gain. They just see people like animals. Verse 3, he says that they may successfully do evil with both their hands. They've become sinfully ambidextrous. He says it's not just they're, they're, they've become skilled at, with their dominant hand. They can do it both-handed now. He says they've become skilled at how they sin against people. Now, see if this reminds you of a city you know. The prince, the, 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 the rulers, the junior rulers, the leaders, they ask for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe, a, a, a bribe, and a great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. Sound like a town that you know? That was Jerusalem. That was Samaria. The cities that, that should have been leading the people to serve the Lord, and there never even should have been a capital at Samaria. It should have been one kingdom united under God, but they divided over self and over pride. God says the, the, the best of them is like a briar. The best person is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. I mean, does anything you know, not bless your life like a good thorn in your sock when you put your boot on and start walking. Huh, isn't that a joy? Man, nothing like, you know, a good briar, a good shard of glass in your sock while you're walking. Can I get a witness? Amen? It's horrible. Micah says, that's, you, you find the best person that there is in Jerusalem, he says, and that's what they're like as a blessing to other people. They're like a briar. They're not a blessing. The most upright is sharper than a thorn edge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Verse 5, do not trust in a friend. He says, you can't, even, you can't trust the word. Everybody, he said, the whole lot of them, they're liars. You can't even trust the word that comes out of their mouth. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. Your closest people, you can't even, your closest friends, you can't even trust that what you tell them, they're going to keep in confidence. Verse 6, this is what homes look like. Sons dishonor a father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own household. To all of that, and chapter 6, verse 13, in response to that sin, God says, Therefore I will make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but you shall not save them. 
And what you do rescue, God says, I'll give over to the sword. You shall sow, but you're not going to reap. You shall tread the olives, but you'll not anoint yourselves with oil. You will make sweet wine, but you won't drink it. And for the statues of Omri, they're kept. And the works of Ahab's house, they're done. And you walk in their counsels, not mine, that I may make you desolate and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore, you shall bear the reproach of my people. And to all of that, listen, to all of that, Micah says, woe is me. There wasn't any apathy. There wasn't any indifference about, well, that's just the way it is. You know, I've got to focus on me and my family. We've got, we've got things to do, and we've got things to do. That wasn't what God had called Micah to do. It wasn't what he had called the nation of Israel to do. They were failing to live up to their potential. His country was marred and was drowning in sin's possession, and they were facing sin's penalty. And to it all, he said, woe is me. He broke his heart to the point of action. He moved him to tell people how they could repent and how they could find restoration with God. And friend, I'm telling you, brokenness over sin, it, it keeps you serving and it keeps you focused on what ministry is really all about. It's really all about. I found a story that so beautifully illustrates this. At the age of 25, a young man by the name of John Harper began pastoring the Paisley Road Baptist Church in Glasgow. Harper never went to college, seminary, any Bible school, history says. And yet God's Word, God's church, and God's Spirit shaped him. He was a capable preacher, a respected leader, and a loving pastor. Under his leadership, the Flailing Baptist Church grew from 25 to over 500, outgrowing its facility and moving locations. Through the trials and tribulations of life at the dawn of the 1900s, Harper found himself as a 39-year-old widower with a daughter age six. In 1912, he was pastoring the Walworth Road Baptist Church in London. His reputation had preceded him. Even across the Great Pond to America, he was invited to come preach there. Harper spent three months ministering at the Moody Church in Chicago, during which time the church had experienced a wonderful revival. He had not been back in Britain long when he was asked to returning to continue his ministry at Moody. One report even claims that his invitation was given so that Harper could candidate for the pastorate at the Moody Church. He quickly decided for himself and his daughter, Nana, to travel back to America aboard the Lustiana. However, he decided to delay their departure for one week so that they could set sail on a new ship, a grand ship called the Titanic. It was about to make its first voyage. On Sunday the 14th, April 1912, the day when the iceberg was struck, the weather was fine, the sea was calm. Harper attended a church service for passengers. His niece, who had also accompanied them, reported that during the afternoon, she saw her uncle, John Harper, speaking individually to people about their souls. It seemed it was the habit of seeking out lost sheep wherever he went. The Titanic struck an iceberg at 11.40 p.m. As calls were issued for passengers to vacate their cabins, Harper wrapped his daughter in the blanket. He told her that she would see him again one day, and he passed her to his niece. After watching her safely board one of the lifeboats, rebuffed by a certain man, at the offer of salvation from Harper, Harper gave him his own life vest, saying, You need this more than I do. One survivor distinctly remembered hearing him shout, Women and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Women and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Because Harper knew that the believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not. He then ran along the decks, pleading with people to turn to Christ as the ship sank. One report even claims that it's, it was Harper who instructed the Titanic's orchestra to play Near My God to Thee as the lights went out. Gathering people around him on deck, he knelt and with holy hands he lifted his hands with great joy and began to pray and, and sing praises to the Lord. 
As the ship began to lurch, he jumped into the icy waters and he swam frantically to all that he could reach, begging them to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Finally, as hypothermia set in, John Harper sank beneath the waters and passed into the Lord's presence. Four years later, a young man whose name is lost to history stood up at a church meeting in Hamilton, Canada at the Titanic Survivors Meeting, and he gave the following testimony. Listen. He said, I'm a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a piece of wreckage that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper also on a piece of wreckage near me. Man, Harper said, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away. He continued to share with other people I could hear. But strange to say, a wave brought him back a little while later to where I was. And he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after he went down. And there alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for myself. He says, I stand here today. It's John Harper's last convert. John Harper was burdened over sin. John Harper's life was not marked and marred by apathy and indifference. He was moved and he was broken over sin's possession of people's lives and the penalty that people would face. And as he stood on that ship, when, when, when the iceberg hit it that night, the first thought in his mind was, Woe is me! People are going to die and go to hell. But what do we hear today? Woe is me. I've got to wear a mask at church. Woe is me. We're not in the sanctuary anymore. Woe is me. The schedule's not what it once was. Woe is me. The choir can't play. Woe is me. I can't shake hands. I can't hug. I can't fellowship the way I once did. Woe is me. The seniors can't go to the glutton buffet on a trip. Woe is me, the youth can't play dodgeball. Woe is me, the children can't play duck-duck-goose and eat a graham cracker and drink apple juice. Woe is me, we can't have a finger-food fellowship and everybody raid the buffet table with take-home trays. That's what the church is broken about today. God, give us a brokenness over sin like Micah had and like John Harper had over the things that matter, friend, and it's sin's possession and it's sin's penalty. That's what matters. That's what church is about. God, give us revived hearts that are broken to the point of action where we say, God, woe is me over the condition of this country and the condition of homes and lives and God used me to tell people how they can turn and trust Jesus Christ. Micah was faithful to deliver God's Word. Micah was burdened over sin. And number three, if you'd be like Micah, be hopeful for the future. What moved Micah forward every day was that he, he hoped in a better day as God revealed it in His Word. It was a dark day for Israel. But Micah was hopeful for a brighter tomorrow. He knew that there was a better day that was going to come. Micah chapter 4, verse number 3. If you go and stand in front of the United Nations Assembly today, you'll read these words that you can find also in the book of Isaiah. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The leaders of the United Nations, they believe this reality can come about through an achieved choice of peace through a one-world nation and a one-world government where everybody gets along. And we read this verse over and over while John Lennon sings, Imagine, in a breathy voice. And that verse is there, but the verses that aren't there are the preceding verses. We're in chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says this, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, 
Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He, this is Jesus, He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. You see, Micah hoped for the day and looked forward to the day when Jesus Christ, who he didn't even know, who he wrote in chapter 5, in verse number 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be a ruler of Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. He didn't even know who he was, but he knew that he was going to come. And he knew that he was going to establish a kingdom in Jerusalem. And he would rule over all the earth. And as a result of that, chapter 3, all the people of the earth, because of Christ's righteous reign, would beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation then would not lift up sword against nation, neither should they learn war anymore. Verse 5. For all people walk each in the name of his God. Little G-O-D. But Micah's hope was this. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forevermore. Friend, listen, it was a dark day in which Micah ministered. I've already read you the moral climate. It's a dark day in which we're serving. No one, like, no one that loves the Lord and loves His Word loves the direction our country's going. Nobody in their right mind, but it's the direction it is, and there's nothing we can do about it except invite men and women to turn and trust Jesus Christ and for a new godly generation to come about. Be faithful to what God has called us to do. Listen, and hope in a brighter tomorrow. Listen, friend, it's going to get worse, but ultimately it's going to get better. At a minimum, prior to what we've just read in this text, at a minimum of seven years prior to that, listen, Jesus is coming back for his church. 1 Thessalonians 4 says he's coming back. He's going to gather us up, and with the Lord we will ever be. So be like Micah and hope for a better day. But until then, be found faithfully sharing God's Word, delivering it, demonstrating it. Be broken over sin, over its possession, over its penalty, and keep hoping for a better tomorrow. Every day, friend, God gives us as a gift. When you open your Bible and you begin your Bible study time with, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of any sin that's in my heart and in my life. And God, I pray today that my life will be a testimony of faithfulness to you because this just might be the day that you come for your church. Hope in a brighter tomorrow. Be like Micah. Be like Micah. And the world's going to be a better place because we're going to be faithful to do what God has called us to do just like Micah was. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray during this time of invitation now that men and women here, boys and girls, here and listening over the Internet, God, they're not mentally going to check out. But this is the most important part of the service. Where, God, we respond to your Holy Spirit. Father, it's my prayer if there's one now either here or who's listening online who cannot identify a moment or a day where they were spiritually born again. That is, they entered into a personal relationship with you. God, I pray they'll do that right now. Just as they are, they'll choose to turn from sin. And God, they'll trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross as a payment for their sins. And they'll invite Christ to come live in their heart and be Lord of their life. God, I pray even right now, if someone who's never done that before, they'll just decide to do that and tell you so just like this, praying just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from all my sin. I believe you died for me. And I invite you as I turn from sin to come live in my heart and be Lord of my life. Save me from my sins. Be Lord of my life. That's my prayer. Father, I pray for Christians now. I pray for those, Lord, who have drifted away from you. 
They don't read their Bible the way they once did. The joy of the Lord is not their strength any longer. There's unconfessed sin in their life. The woe is me, Lord, that they decry every day is about petty things that have nothing to do with why Jesus died on the cross and the mission that you've left us. Father, I pray that they'll humble themselves before you today. And in a simple prayer like this, say, Lord, forgive me for where I've drifted and backslid to. God, I want to be like Micah. God, I want to be faithful in the delivery of your word. God, I want to demonstrate it in the workplace and in the home, here at church. Whatever my social media footprint is, God, I want others to see Jesus and the things that I say and the things that I like. I want to demonstrate your word. God, break my heart over lostness. God, remind me of the reality of hell and what sin's possession really does to people's lives. And that the, the reason the country's in the shape that it's in, it's not the Democrats' fault, it's not the Republicans' fault, it's, it's sin's fault. It's the possession that sin has over people. And God, there's a penalty for that. It's not just one day game over and lights out. It's an eternity in a place called hell. God, remind me of that. Break my heart over that. God, I pray every day I'll choose joy and the knowledge and hope that, Lord, you're going to settle things out one day. You're going to come for your church, and with you will ever be. No more separation, no more tears, no more heartache, no more bad reports from the doctor, no more struggles and trials that come along with getting older, no more loneliness, utter perfection in your presence. But until then, might you find me faithful. That's my prayer as your child today. Revive my heart. Well, God, I pray what you lead women and men to do. Young boys and young girls during this invitation, I pray they'll respond to it now. They'll be faithful to your call, just like Micah was. Some 2,700 years ago, they'll be faithful just like he was right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. I want to invite you to reverently stand to your feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. If you need to pray with someone, you need to talk with someone about a decision. If you trusted Christ today, you want, you want to know what the Bible desires of you next, what God would have of you. Brother Brian's going to be waiting over here to your left. Walk over there right now and you talk to him. Phyllis is going to play and you respond to the Lord right now, won't you?